Welcome to another episode of Civic Cipher. I am your host, Ramses Ja. Okay, so DJ Q Ward. Good run. <laughs> we'll talk about it. For, for now, y'all can just call me Q. Yes, indeed. And, um, you know, another great show for you, another great episode. Um, some, some things I'm really excited to talk about. Um, so stick around your radios uh, because we are going to, I believe, coin a new term. Word. I love when we do that. Yes. And it's going to be based on just experience. Um, but I think it's very real. And I think a lot of, especially black folks who have similar experiences, um, will be able to relate to. Um, but stick around for that. Uh, we also are going to talk about a study that was published um, in the Los Angeles Times and was reported to us by The Root uh, about how police officers interact with different races differently. And, I, I, you know, for those of us who know better, it kind of goes without saying, but I think that, um, you know, we're going to peel away a few layers and, and really see what that feels like and some of the outcomes that uh, result from those types of interactions and you know maybe what we can do better uh, moving forward to prevent some of what we've been seeing and, and throughout the history of this country to be honest with you and we also have an excellent baba segment uh, today our, our become a better ally segment and I also think it's important for us to start off with some ebony excellence. So we'll kick it off right here and give a shout out to LeVar Burton. Now, for those who don't know, LeVar Burton is, he's Jordy LaForge from Star Trek. I'm a Star Trek nerd. I'm sorry. I know that you're probably listening to this on a really cool radio station. I'm just not that guy. I'm super nerd and fortunately I'm in good company because Q is a nerd too and I would venture to guess that so is DJ Swirl our show producer he's the star of reading rainbow to me yeah so and that's luckily really- for y'all I can't sing <laughs> because I would be giving you Butterfly the reading the listen sky. don't Ramses <laughs> Ramses I can go twice as high don't do it bro <laughs> take a look okay listen. I stop I stop anyway um you know, shout out to him uh, having a great career. Um, but, you know, something that happened recently is, as we all know, Alex Trebek from Jeopardy passed away. Rest in peace. And uh, just a, another legendary icon in the entertainment uh, world. And, uh, you know, I caught wind that LeVar Burton wanted to step in and take over that role. And as we know, typically that role has been held by a white man. And so it's sometimes uncomfortable especially in middle america to see that job shift away from a white-skinned person to a black-skinned person and so he's had to campaign for this unfortunately it looks like they're going to give him a shot so we're really excited to see what comes of that um lavar burton should always stay unbothered and moisturized as he puts on his twitter feed and we love to see it um and you know next stop is idris elba becoming the next james bond i still believe I believe it's possible. You think they're going to let it happen? I, I, 
I, I'm gonna believe, man. I'm a believer. I'm an optimist. And you guys, you, know, you guys listen, so you know, Ramses is definitely yeah. a believer and an optimist. And you know, the thing is, we can share. He can do, be James Bond for a couple movies, and then it could go back to someone white. And man, we could have someone, some other folks. You know, maybe Middle Eastern. You know, I, I think it's possible, man. James Bond is an idea, and we can share ideas with each other as brothers and sisters. And I very much look forward to the day when that is normalized. But um, that is a perfect opportunity to segue into our first topic um, for discussion today. And uh, something that I really wanted to get into for a long time, this has kind of been on my mind uh, for a bit. Um, recently I heard, uh, it, it was just in the background, some, some sort of arbitrary dialogue or something like that, but the, the term white guilt came up. Right. It's a term that that in, in our arena is, you know, thrown around quite a bit. And white guilt is one of the things that in, in my belief um, and, and my understanding is basically the feeling that some white people have when coming to terms with the fact that people who are not white have a tougher go in some areas of their lives and it's because they're not white. That's the, the primary reason for it. And so some white folks feel guilty about that. And as a result, they will try in their own way to bring a little bit of balance to the universe. And so it's, it sounds bad. Um, for, for some it is, though, because there are sure. others who that guilt makes them push back. The other way. Yeah, and sure. No, that's not true because it makes them feel bad about themselves. Sure, sure. And so. that's, that's something that a lot of white people resist and we see that i don't have to guess we we actually see that um in media and in real life and day-to-day interactions um but in any event that is what it is you know um that's how that term is used um when discussing you know the way that we interact and relate to each other um as as races as as black people with with respect to white people and brown people and native people and so forth um you know, there's a lot of well-documented instances of, if we're talking about a people, um, white people doing very hurtful and harmful things and damaging things um, to races of people that are not white. Um, you know, we're going to speak later on in the show about um, our native brothers and sisters, and obviously they have a well-documented history of getting the short end of the stick when you know, um, when it comes to their interactions with white folks, which is why we need critical race theory in schools. Every time you give me a microphone, I'll say it. Um, but yeah, so that's white guilt. And I believe that there is such a thing as black guilt. Now hear me out. And I do want to get your thoughts on this. Expound. Yes. Hear me out. Um, for me, I recognize that, oh God, this is going to be tough to say because there are some people who listen to our show that are very fiery individuals, fiery speakers, and they know that we've been done wrong and they know that it's, it's our time and we need to get our reparation, all these things. And they're, they're not wrong. They're right. I agree 100%. But me being the person that I am in the middle of myself, I recognize that no matter what happens, we all have to get there together, wherever there is. Right. Um, 
And I recognized that the world is changing for white people, perhaps at a, at a faster pace than it ever has before. You know, I think that this show illustrates that point because it's, it's very likely that the person who owns the radio station that you're listening to our voices on uh, and the shareholders is a majority white folks, right? But they've allowed us to have a little bit of time to, to speak with you, the listener, so that we can share our thoughts on what it's like to be black in America and hopefully empower you as our allies and empower our uh, black brothers and sisters and native and Hispanic and so forth. Um, but the world is very much changing. Um, you know, the, the, the population is changing. The, uh, you know, the life expectancy for white people is, is getting shorter. And when you've been in that position for such a long time where you don't have to worry about those sorts of things, you're just kind of secure comfortably in your space. When the world starts changing around you, any human being would be a little bit unsettled by that, you know? Um, and so there's a part of me that has to recognize that this is not easy for white people, you know? Um, white people that are well-intentioned and, and mean well and want, want an equitable experience for all of us in this country, and, you know, the white people that don't want that, the white people that resist it. It's, it's, it's got to be uncomfortable on some level for everyone because we're talking about race and we're talking about shifting um, away from a traditional hierarchy of race in this country toward a more equitable one. And even if that is 100 years in the future when we actually achieve that, the fact that the conversation is center stage, you know, more so now than in the past 20, 30 years in this country, um, it's got to be a bit unsettling. I know in the back of people's minds, they have to worry, like, are you going to harm me? Are you going to, you know, is this, is, am I, if I give up some power, is it going to come back to affect me negatively, right? And as a feeling, empathetic black person, I try to recognize the human experience that my Caucasian brothers and sisters are enduring or experiencing. Enduring is kind of, you know, me, me being a little bit, um, a little bit too heavy a word, but experiencing, you know, and empathizing and recognizing like, hey, listen, you know, let, let me make sure that you understand and you're secure and you know that I love you. This needs to happen, but I love you and, and you're and I, I'll be there for you. I'll be an ally the same way that you're being an ally to me. Um, I'll stand with you if you stand with me, these sorts of things. Um, and, y you know, we saw we saw a video the other day where there was a woman who was in, I want to say it was like a makeup store. And she was getting filmed in the makeup store. She was going full Karen. And she, it was actually a Victoria's Secret. Was that it? Okay, sorry. Victoria's Secret store. She was going full Karen. And, you know, she's on video and then all of a sudden she drops to the floor and starts wailing, right? Full, full on Karen, 110%. So those tears to the right audience makes her the victim in that story. Um, and, you know, it seemed like, you know, she just slipped right into that role, you know. Um, well, she... she <laughs> performed passing out first yeah like 
you have to see the video. Sure, sure. We'll make that available for you. Yeah, but you know, for now, you know, just, just take my word for it. Um, but I recognize that not every white person is that. But you know, there's, there's, uh, I'm sure there's a spectrum, you know, and there's some folks who are well-intentioned. They mean well. They do their best. They try to live a good life, and they might make a mistake. They might misspeak. They might not know the social, the new social norms. Don't touch my hair. You know, for those that can't see me, I have a lot of hair, and that happens to me quite a bit. Um, and I know that the right thing to do is correct everybody, right? But sometimes it's hard for me to do that because I know that, A, I need you to keep believing that I'm your friend. That, that we're on the same team here. And so I'll let you have that. And I think that that is the black guilt where it's like, oh, I got, it's, it's, it's a tricky game we got to play here because I don't want you to start crying and thinking that I'm canceling you. And I don't, I, you know, and I feel guilty because I know that you mean well, but you know, we have to learn that some things, we, we, still, we still have a ways to go in a lot of areas. And I can't afford to lose you as an ally. So I can't afford to lay all of my demands at your feet right now. You know, I got to do it one at a time incrementally. And so there's some things that might happen and I just have to look past them. Some things I can't, you know, but, you know, for those that know, um, you know, this show was born out of. Uh, an old radio programmer um, telling me that he did not want to do a black show. That was his exact words. Um, but a little bit more was that he didn't want to do a show that spoke to what was going on in the streets in 2020. And I felt that that was necessary. And when he made that decision, you know, Q and I, we decided to step away and do our own um, show, which you're hearing now. Um, also, that station doesn't exist anymore. So everybody that supported us we appreciate you but wow <laughs> but um you know that's a battle that i had to pick but there were many other battles in that radio station that i could not i could not die on those hills and i think that what i was experiencing in hindsight was black guilt i know that you don't know what my experience is like and I also know that I can't put too much on you. Otherwise, I risk losing you because the rights narrative is these people ask for too much. They're looking at it the wrong way. Um, you know, uh, slavery was a thing that happened all over the world. And they, they completely ignore the fact that there was a very unique form of slavery that took place in this country that really existed to like dehumanize and brutalize. It didn't incorporate people into the family and the, and the fabric of society and the, you know there and there's a million things we could talk about for, for a million hours but um you know if you want to tell yourself a different story you can and if you want to recruit people you can and if i'm the person in your office demanding that you check all these boxes right now it's it's so easy for you to subscribe to a different narrative that fits the worldview that you have and so that black guilt it, it creeps in and it causes me to feel like I shouldn't ask for too much. You know, I, I, you know, I, I, I can't afford for this to get away from me. 
And so I think it's a real thing that exists. And I can't be the only one, right? So it's really interesting that you bring this up because I've expressed to you before how sometimes it is difficult to do our show because I feel like someone's going to hear it. They're going to feel bad. And for that reason, they'll tune us out completely. And it's hard to not pile on when there's so much nuance, right? If, if there was ever a collective expression of guilt, right? You mentioned the word reparations earlier. The idea that that hasn't happened is insane when you review the truths of black people on this soil. And that's why the piling on for people like us sometimes feels necessary. Like how are there people that still want that still don't want to acknowledge our plight? So it seems unfair to those that do. And when they're both a part of the same group, it's hard not to speak to both people. It's like giving a lecture to both of your children when one of them is the class president and the valedictorian <laughs> and has never been in trouble and the one you just bailed out. Giving them the same lecture is not fair. Yeah. Even though they're both your kids, they're both in the same car, they're in the same age group, they live in the same house, they have the same rules. The one that's the class president and valedictorian is sitting there almost enraged that they have to sit through this conversation mom dad i know so it's 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 very difficult doing the show the way that we do it with the topics that we're forced to address because we hope that if you're listening to a station that has our show on it that there are going to be a lot of things that you can at least empathize with us yeah. on Right. But sometimes. If you're a white person, you can feel attacked yeah. by a show like this. Yeah. And even if. At your core, you actually agree with what we're saying, when it sounds like we're identifying you as the culprit, it's hard to say it's hard not to say, well, wait a minute. Yeah. And want to stand up for yourself, yourself yeah. even though you're not the person that we're talking about. Right. So I've felt that black guilt, if that's what we're calling it. Yeah. Because even in our in our production meetings, when we're talking with Swirl, I'm like, man, are we are we piling on? Are are we talking about the same types of things too much? And the reason why I'm so quick to say to snap out of it and say no is because we're not talking about <laughs> we never have a show where the things we're talking about happened nine months ago. It might be the same thing that happened nine months ago, but it's a brand new story. Yeah. So it's like you guys can't see me. This <laughs> yeah. the shrug and facial expression <laughs> that you're getting from me right now. It's like, well, still happening. It's regularly it's still happening regularly even isn't even a good enough word right there's things that with frequency <laughs> at a frequency that we can't keep up with sure. there's stories that we've missed Be just because our show isn't on frequent enough yeah and the weeks in between so much more happens that you know we just kind of end up moving to the next or most recent thing that happened that might sound and feel the same so 
man, you, you're absolutely right because I felt it. I've dealt with it. I try to reconcile. And like I said, even when we're doing our show, it's something that I think about. Like, man, I do not want to alienate people that support us. Yeah. Because the description sounds like them. Right. Because it's so in so many occurrences, it's police officer or white man or white people. And because there's such variance, we can't say the white lady whose name we don't know at the Victoria's Secret in whatever city that's in f with every occurrence. We can't point specifically to name, person, time, date, description. So we just generally say white, people. white police officer, yeah. for, for instance. So. Yeah, man, it's 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 not black and white. It's not straightforward. It's not cut and dry. It's really it's a really, really difficult line to toe because we have to address the things that we address, but it is not easy to keep from alienating people that are a part of that group, but not of it, you know, in the group, but not of it, if that makes sense. I know what you mean. Um, and there's something that happens in media. Um, it, it, and this show doesn't really fit that format. And I, I, I don't think that it ever will. Um, but for different reasons. Um, and there, there's kind of like a saying, if it bleeds, it leads. And so these are the sorts of things that dominate the news cycle. Um, but the nature of our show is a little different. And we have a an objective we don't inform people for the sake of informing people because you can just be alive and click on any news whatever in your pocket and become informed um, we try to provide context and have long-form discussions about really about race relations and about um, how do we empower each other to reach the level of equity that I think that we can reach. And this is kind of what we're going for. And so the stories that we choose to, um, you know, deal with are pointed in that direction. And so that's why this is not a blood and gut show every time. That's why we can talk about things like concepts like this one, black guilt, um, and, and so forth. And so it's a, it's a little bit different show. Um, but I think that you know, in doing so, like you said, we have to also reconcile how, how is this going to hit people? Because we know, you know, I, I, someone said it, uh, it was actually been said quite a bit that black people are not looking for revenge at all. Just looking for like, um, you know, a, a fair go at life. And, and you know, and, and we get to decide based on our vantage point and, and how the world looks to us what that is because you know so many times throughout history forgive me white people have been the ones dictating what is fair and almost invariably it is w way more fair if you are also white and l way less fair if you are not a white person as well um and you know there's obviously examples of white folks discriminating against other white folks as well but you know it's a power struggle and off more often than not it's and that typically isn't because they're white. And that's that's the that's the very clear and obvious difference. They're 
you know, maybe it's because they're poor. Mm. Maybe it's because they, they have different religious beliefs. Maybe yeah. because their accent is different. Yeah. They were born on a different soil, but it's not typically because they're white. It's for some other reason. Sure. In way too many cases, this shell that we walk around in is our crime. It is the reason why we're being held back, discriminated against, judged, and on and on hurt and you know there's something else to be said i just while we're here i want to say it you know we 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 are very critical of policing as an institution and certainly critical of certain officers as well but um you know we do have a dialogue with a few officers um one that comes to mind uh is um there's a guy named uh marcel there's a guy named kevin you know, these are uh, Kevin is a sheriff's uh, officer. Marcel reaches out to us on our social media um, and we recognize that police are humans, too. We prefer the police who are humans first, you know, um, but that doesn't mean that we can't be critical of the system that employs them and, and advocate for change on their behalf and hopefully inspire them to advocate for change from within. And so long story short, these are my thoughts on black guilt um, but if you're white and listening, just know, Hey, we love you. And, and we know that you love us and that's not lost on us. And, and we're going to get through this thing together. And now proper propaganda. Watch it. Pull my mic back. You like that? Journalists were journalists too. We can strike back. Hardcore reporters with orders from headquarters. Behind enemy lines. Sidestepping the borders. If you're just tuning in to Civic Cypher, I'm your host, Ramses Ja. You call me, um, <laughs> <laughs> Q, Q, okay. <laughs> Let's just go with Q. Yeah, that's all right. Um, and uh, yeah, if you're just tuning in, um, I definitely want you to stick around. We're going to be talking about a study that was done a little later in the show where it was determined on a scientific basis what we already know, but that's that uh, police officers speak to and interact with black drivers less respectfully than white drivers. Um, we're also going to discuss um, a uh, way black history fact. Um, this time we're going to stand in solidarity with our native brothers and sisters, a story we've been wanting to get to for a long time, um, of uh, uncovering some bodies that were buried of uh, some native children. We're going to get into that in just a bit. Um, but first, let's discuss how to become a better ally. So... If uh, you don't know, there is a, we'll call him a social media activist. This is a term that, that Q came up with. Right on. <laughs> uh, his name is Maximilian Clark. And um, for those that follow our social media at Civic Cipher, uh, I think it's up on our Instagram. Um, you can go and, and check it out. It might be a few posts to go, but it's, it's still there. And uh, basically this guy is he just gets on stage in this video and he has like a stream of consciousness and a microphone and an audience and of course he's a white man um so you see we're not critical of everyone you know? um but see that's my black guilt having to having to establish that right anyway um at first glance seems to be a wonderful human being uh you know we've been able to share a few of his videos in our group chats and um he very much deals with the reality 
of the world that he lives in um, and is not afraid to tell the truth. He doesn't obscure anything. He like puts it all out there in the front. And the level of confidence that he speaks with when he's talking about the importance of critical race theory. I mean, he, he kind of speaks to an audience with some irony, um, you know, to make them laugh and to, you know, help them to understand. He says something about MLK. He's like, we should teach people about MLK, but we shouldn't teach him that the FBI tried to ruin his life. And we should teach people about, you know, um, you know, World War II, but we shouldn't teach about the, uh, the internment camps for the Japanese, you know. Um, and, you know, everyone gets a chuckle out of that, but he's making some valid points. And I thought, we all thought that that would be a, an excellent example to share with you, the listener, uh, on how to become a better ally, because that's what an ally looks like in our estimation. So once again, check out our social media um, on Instagram at Civic Cipher. Yeah, him pointing out the obvious hypocrisy and the omissions that our government is trying to make in education. It's funny, but in a way where it disarms your aversion to it. Yeah. listening. Yeah, absolutely. So um, now to the good stuff. Um, Were you being facetious there when you say to the good stuff? Yeah. <laughs> brace yourselves <laughs> all right um so the root is another place where we source show content um the atlanta black star you know black publications that highlight black stories um so i read this on the root i think it's fair to share those whenever we um come across them basically uh the story the headline is police officers speak to black drivers less respectfully than white drivers um before we get into this, I want to ask two questions to two people that I know. One of them is DJ Swirl. Swirl, does this surprise you that police officers speak to black drivers less respectfully than white drivers? Are you surprised by that? You're talking about speaking facetiously? <laughs> no, no, no. Does it, like, does it surprise you? <laughs> Just, you know, straight answer. Got to make sure I'm not a no. Not an iota. Q, same question. Does it, does it surprise you? I was completely taken aback <laughs> when I learned of this information. Um, I'm actually offended that you asked. Uh, not sure how I feel about the, the point that you're trying to make or the type of light that you're sh shining on our men and women in law enforcement. Um, well, here's something that I will do before we even get into this. I would say that there's a lot of people in positions of authority um, who, especially if they're not black people, who are going to speak more respectfully to non-black people than they will to black people. That's, uh, I think that's very much woven into the culture of this country, not just in the law enforcement. Um, I don't think there are many people who are black or melanated who would disagree with that. Um, but now we have a scientific basis to have this conversation with uh, respect to policing in this country. And so I'll give you a little bit of background on how this story was, or how this um, study was done. So um, the American Psychological Association uh, conducted an analysis of body cam footage. And they would take like 10, 15 seconds of 
you know, police interactions, perhaps when they're first walking up to the door. I you know, it's an article, so it didn't, it's not a full scientific published paper. Um, but from what I read, that's kind of how they gathered their research. They took thousands of videos and they quantified, and I'm sure they had parameters for what was respectful and decidedly less respectful, and they, you know, checked each box accordingly. Um, and, you know, found along the lines of race that wh white um, motorists were approached in a more respectful manner by police. Um, and this, this, this study was backed by the Los Angeles Times and published in the LA Times. And um, I think that everybody, everybody, you know, there's, there's, there's some people that, you know, look at police and say, you know, the police really are here to protect us. I'm talking about everybody of every color. There's some, there's, there's a group of people that it doesn't matter what color they are. They say the police are here for us. I've never had a bad experience with the police. I've always done what I'm supposed to do. I don't worry about the police. That is a real segment of every population. I will cede that entirely. But what I think more often happens is there are people who would prefer to have no interaction with the police whatsoever because if the police show up, usually it's because of some drama. Same with the fire department. God bless the fire department. If I never saw them, that'd be fine with me. That just means nothing in my world is burned down, right? So um, I'm glad they're there, you know, no, no disrespect, you know, shout out to the, to, the, to the fire department, but I'm sure they don't want to put out fires because usually that means that people are suffering and dealing with, you know, whatever. Um, it'd be better to prevent fires, you know, in the first place, defund the police. Anyway, so um, most folks will say, you know, police are just, you know, no one likes getting a ticket. No one likes, you know, interacting with the police. If the police show up and you try to tell your story and they're not on your side and or they, they come with a bad attitude. You know, I'm sure that if you've lived long enough, you've come across, you know, a police officer with a God complex and a gun and with that badge is able to kind of move with impunity and so has no regard for you as a human being. Um, you are beneath him or her and they have no problem letting you feel that. Um, and so there's lots of people who have had those types of experiences. And I would guess that those are people who interact with the police more frequently because it's more often that you're going to, it's more likely rather that you'll come across those types of police officers, which as we know around here are plentiful, you know, those God complex police officers that do what I say now, what I said, I said, do that, you know, no, no officer. I'm not, you know, anyway, you know, the story cue. So, um, a lot of people will be able to say something similar. It'll be like, you know, police don't talk respectfully to me either. And I'm not even black. You know, police, that's just how police are. You know, you just try to avoid them, stay in your own lane and, you know, whatever. But the reality of the situation is that the, 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 the culture of policing has shifted away from, like, investigative policing and, uh, you know, um, responsive you know like okay something happened let me go and respond to it more toward let's just find what we can get on the streets you know they have computers that run your license plates they don't even type it in and when i was little they used to have to type in a license plate if they suspected a car of something if it was swerving or whatever now it's a computer that does it you know they're just checking every car just to see you know if there's somebody worth pulling over um part of that might be because they're trying to be safe and keep both hands on the wheel but 
I maintain that they're just looking for trouble. And, and you know, if you're looking for something, you'll find it even if it's not there, as you and I both know. So the problem is that that establishes that it's not really, it's not realistic to just move through life knowing full well that if you just keep your nose clean that the police will never interact with you, right? You can do your very best. You know, as you know, and as I know, we've never, neither of us, Q, have done a drug. We've never even drank alcohol. Certainly don't break the law. You know, we don't have any reason to break the law. Why would we ever do that? And I probably get pulled over all the time. You know, I'm out late because I, I, I'm a DJ, you know, I, whatever. And then um, the many cars I've had over the years, some of them look like drug dealer cars. I'll admit that. You know, it's I'm not something I'm proud of, but once upon a time, I like rims. What are you going to do? It's cultural. Let me live. So. Um, Shout out to rims. <laughs> once upon a time. But anyway, what happens is you end up interacting with these police. And my experience has been less than pleasant most of the time, mostly because the police are. It's like I've already been convicted of the crime that they are looking for. And it seems like you got something to say. So I'd love you to jump in right there. Let me tell you a really cool thing about being the official DJ of the Phoenix Suns. At Phoenix Suns home basketball games, there are a lot of police officers on site. Except I am head to toe in NBA and Phoenix Suns logos. And then I have this badge with a big picture of me on it. It's a very, very official. And I say hello to every officer in the arena when I see them. And in that setting, they all reflect the same energy that I give them. Right? Because when they look at me, they get to already make up their mind. Oh, that guy works for the Suns. He's one of the good ones. Even if they didn't see me <laughs> on the center hang. Yeah. Walking towards them, it's clear to see, oh, this guy works for the team. And there is a built-in response for people that work for the team, especially in a, in an official capacity. Because there's a lot of temporary workers that are working sessions or our GSRs that greet our guests. But somebody that looks official, there's a built-in response to that. Uh, you've heard me bring up on the show before part of what part of the response that was desired from the Black Lives Matter movement was not treat white people worse. Not at all. Just give us the same resemblance of dignity and respect that you show white people. I think in most interactions. And it doesn't matter the race of the police officer. When the person in question isn't black, they're a citizen that might have made a mistake. Even when there's clear evidence that this person absolutely did something illegal. Horrible, yeah. But like you said, the officer's a human being first. And they treat this person like they're a human being first, too. Mm -hmm. 
and that's how that interaction goes down. Mm-hmm. So even if that person does end up in handcuffs and in jail, getting there was a lot more humane, dignified. The narrative for people that look like us for so long has been that we're by nature criminals. They're guilty until proven innocent. Th- they approach us as the criminal who's just being a criminal, not a human being that may have made a mistake. And when the very nature of what you do is colored in by that narrative, it's almost impossible to treat us the same. Because that starts before you become a police officer. That's the world that you grow up in. And then the infrastructure that you enter yourself into as a police officer just fortifies Absolutely. all those thoughts and beliefs that you already had. So for us, this study was completely unnecessary. Uh, absolutely. We live it. But as you know, and as we've talked about, there are a lot of people that would like to openly and proudly with their chest out deny any of that truth that's why it's good that and that's why it's necessary to have the science study like it. that to happen so watch this um i got a direct quote here this comes from diane goldstein it says um she's one of the people that worked on the study it really reflects the amount of work that law enforcement needs to continue to do right to approach people like their people first now the reason that's significant is because you know there's a a, a a very like a like a foundational story with respect to this show um and we've told it a few times on the air where q and i were both pulled over in mississippi um driving from florida to arizona in a brand new porsche and we got pulled over in mississippi in the middle of the night for those that don't know and uh had a bit of a an interaction and um you know i don't need to tell the whole story again but it took a long time it was over nothing and literally not over something small over nothing literally there was nothing um but we were pulled over um in the darkest of forests as you can possibly never see anything like it with no moonlight nothing (laughs) so dark even the even the the fireflies left it was just we were just out there but um I guess I have to tell a little bit of the story. So forgive me if you've heard this before. Um, we get pulled over um, because there's a little bit of, uh, there's grooves in the in the paint in Mississippi that make noise if the tire comes in contact with the paint. It's not the same in Arizona. The grooves lie outside of the, the, the white line. Um, and so we're driving and, you know, listening to music, road tripping, you know, having a good time. Make a little bit of noise for about a half second it wasn't even a full second it wasn't even that long um in the way i remember it but if it was then sure um and a quarter mile later there's lights behind us we get pulled over um typically if a car is swerving the officer will want to check to see if the driver is inebriated or if there's you know the driver otherwise presents a threat to road safety now it's like two in the morning there's no cars out and this gentleman to my left uh is speaking to this officer which by the way q is one of the most intelligent human beings in the world 
And I know I know a lot of them. Scariest <laughs> police siren light combination <laughs> of my adult life. Can't see nothing. They're blinding lights. But, you know, we get he gets pulled out of the car. Um, and it was completely unnecessary because you could determine at first glance, okay, these guys just and we explained like, hey, the we didn't know that in Arizona where we're from, it's not like that. So we've never driven in Mississippi before. Our bad, you know, no harm, no foul. We just made a little bit of noise in the middle of nowhere that only you heard. We haven't committed any offense to anyone else. Um, no need to go beyond that. Um, However, and, yes, sir, I will step out of the car. Sure. And then, uh, long story short, um, they end up pulling me out of the car. We're, like, up against the police car now. They're, you know, checking the car. Then they bring the dogs out to smell the car, you know. And then they tell us that the dogs smell drugs in the brand-new <laughs> Porsche. <laughs> and then they have to search the car again. Um, and so we're just stuck on the side of the road. And, uh, you know, um, it just was it was a bunch of nonsense. And ultimately, we, we were able to get out of there. Um, it's a much scarier story than I'm telling you. But for the sake of time, you know, that's that's effectively what happened now if we were an older white couple let's say q your uh 65 year old privileged corporate executive and i am a cfo of a of a business and we're good may i interject sure if we were just white two older white people <laughs> right because we wouldn't have worn our careers on our jackets that's fair we wouldn't have presented them with a business card to know what we did right so if our description was different yeah if we looked like we belonged in this nice car yeah while also i'm, I'm glad you white, said that i'm glad you said that because that you're absolutely our right. interaction would have been incredibly different and i know that the amount of dignity um would have been higher you're allowed to have so much more dignity and self-respect right it just it's it's unfathomable that if you're white and older like you can be would, threatening would, and aggressive and mean and disrespectful and to the still police be respectful if you're white back. yeah they'll still be respectful back um and it's the, the craziest thing and then of course we present no threat challenge nothing the most benevolent home, roll over look here's my belly i mean you no harm please do not kill me on the side of the road because you're scared of something that doesn't please exist please do not kill us <laughs> on the side of this road was my only thought for the near two hours we spent outside on the side of the highway in mississippi at what i think was like two or three o'clock in the morning please do not kill us because <laughs> they seem when they first walked up it seemed like they they came with a little bit of energy that we weren't really expecting especially know? officer sergeant drill sergeant sir sergeant sir detective inspector yeah sheriff sure, officer deputies officer sergeant sir yeah i think that was his name yeah that was it. That especially was it. I think him. that was it i saw his badge but um the point is is that you know this this is the sort of interaction that's the norm i've interacted with lots of police throughout my life never been arrested you know isn't that something? Never been arrested, you know. Been um, handcuffed, been placed in the in the back of cars, shoved on the hood of cars. Yeah, yeah. Never arrested. A man uh, gone through my backpack when I was in school. You know, um, 
uh, pulled me out of the car in front of my family. You know, that sort of stuff is all that stuff has happened. Never been arrested because I never I did had anything officers wrong. take the seats out of my car before. You see what I mean? That's and just, then when they were finished, just did, left. Just leave it like so that. So I had to figure out how to reinstall seats. Listen, man, it's, it bees like that. And so, um, you know, there's there's definitely something to be said about this type of approach to black motorists escalating because black people are no different from any other creature, you know, that's endowed with consciousness that, you know, demands its respect and its its dignity and its its right to move about unencumbered by you know uh artificial restraints and so forth and you know some black people know how to play the game like we do and they do it for most of their lives and then there's you know everyone has a day when it's like you know what i deserve better than this you know, and I, I say this quite a bit, you know, most of the time it's off the air, but, you know, I say it all the time, like, I don't want to die on a sidewalk. I don't want that to be my story. And I get death threats for doing this show all the time. People are just pretty upset with me for doing this and saying these things. But, you know, um, this is my path. I have to walk this path now and I have to say these things. And I do recognize that it's okay to demand respect it's okay to give respect and expect it in return, but it's also um, it has to be a two-way street. And now that we have definitive evidence uh, of exactly what's going on here, we can start to you know do better. Yes, sir. And before you move on to our esteemed show producer DJ Swirl, how you are able to deal with the comments that we get from doing this show, I do not know. I got a glimpse of them from him the other day and made my stomach hurt. And it was like three kind of vanilla comments. But it was just knowing where they came from and what they represented that just kind of turned my stomach. I know we get way worse stuff than that. That I make it my business not to ever see or read or come into contact with because life is hard enough by itself. Swirl, what you got for us? Let me kill the mood real quick. Um, for today's Way Black History Fact, we are reaching out to our Native brothers and sisters and highlighting a recent um, finding of a hundreds more unmarked graves found at former residential schools in Canada. Uh, for decades, the indigenous children were taken from their families, sometimes by forced and housed in crowded church-run boarding schools where they were abused and prohibited from speaking their native tongue. Thousands vanished altogether. Now, a discovery offers chilling evidence that many of the missing children may have died at these schools. The remains of as many as 751. Hold on, mainly, excuse me? 751 mainly indigenous children were found at the site of a former school in the province of Saskatchewan. The burial site, the largest one to date, was wow. uncovered only weeks after the remains of 215 children were found in unmarked graves on the grounds of another former church-run school for indigenous students in British Columbia. The discoveries have jolted a nation grappling with the generations of widespread and systematic abuse for indigenous people, many of whom are survivors of the boarding schools. 
for decades, they suggested their, through their oral histories that thousands of children disappeared from the schools, but they were often met with skepticism. The, revelation, the revelations of two unmarked grave sites are another searing reminder of this traumatic period in history. These recent unearthings of remains in Canada have re reverberated globally, including in the U.S., where this week the Interior Secretary said the country would search federal boarding schools for possible burials, burial sites as well of Native American children. Hundreds of thousands of them were forcibly taken from their communities to be culturally assimilated in the schools for more than a century. What article is that? This is from the New York Times. Okay. Um, wow. I want to say a couple things before we get into that. I want your reaction because you seem to really have something, but I want to say a couple things. One, um, this show is a black space. We will always share this space with people who have similar plight with us. And it doesn't matter if they're black or not. If, if we get to make the rules, then that's our rule. So if you're native, if you're Hispanic, this is your show too. Yes. Um, but this show has to do with the United States of America. And this story comes from Canada. But where we live in Phoenix, Arizona, any, anyone that's been to Phoenix before knows that there's a street called Indian School Road and it spans the length of the city. And on Indian School Road, you guessed it, there's an Indian school, that's what they used to call it. And in the late 90s, I wanna say, I remember hearing stories of the cruelty that took place in that school in the early 1900s and in the and and their efforts to assimilate the native children and to strip them of their culture and you know all these sorts of things and the abuse that took place there and i'm not an expert so i will not speak on that um but, you know, if you're listening to my voice and you're familiar with this story or any other stories, again, this space is your space, too. And you're welcome to reach out to us and we'll, you know, th these stories need to be told and we need to discuss them so that we can all move forward together. Um, but the reason that this story in Canada stood out to me is because I knew that story from growing up in Phoenix, Arizona. And I went to school on Indian School Road. I went to Central High School, shout out the Bobcats. <laughs> and I went to uh, Osborne Middle School. So that was, you know, the road I took to get to school when I was in middle school. And, you know, learning about the horrors that took place in that school. And then now it's a dilapidated building and they didn't even turn it into a museum. It's just, they can't tear it down, I don't think. They, they build a park around it, but it's just in decay. Um, it's this story from Canada really resonated with me because I think that that reflects kind of what was going on um, in the world, you know, um, with respect to Native populations. Um, and, you know, I, I recognize that, you know, the Native story is a different story. My grandmother was a Native American woman. Um, uh, and, you know, she often did not tell us stories about growing up because she, she really didn't like her life until she got older. And she, she told me that. And I, so I, a lot of that stuff is lost now that we've buried her. Um, 
but I, I do feel connected to these stories and I, I do feel like it's necessary to talk about them. My bad, I ate up all that time. <laughs> do want to hear your reaction, cute. <laughs> to our Aboriginal brothers and sisters, I think the thing that caught me off guard more than the startling number of bodies that were found is that these schools were church run and just the history of churches and I'm assuming, you know, Christian churches uh, and the kind of cloaking they provided for really bad people for a very long time is pretty disgusting. Uh, church-run schools being responsible for people being murdered because they didn't look, speak, or believe the way you do is pretty disgusting. And uh, I'll kind of leave it there. That 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 hearing those words is the part you know being raised by a Baptist minister myself. You know that definitely maybe shouldn't have caught me off guard just based on some of the history, but definitely did. Uh, and, and like you said before, we do stand in solidarity, not just with our Aboriginal brothers and sisters, but people all over this country and all over the world who have been marginalized, abused, torn down, segregated against. The list goes on. This, this space is for you as well. And we really want you to know that. Sure, sure. Um, and, you know, while we're here, this is a part of the reason why, like, as much as we'd love to talk about Cuba, I would love to talk about Cuba. It lies just beyond the scope of what it is that we talk about um, on this show and what we're able to, to speak to. But I implore you to inform yourself about the goings on in Cuba and support in any way that you can. My other grandmother is from Cuba. So I'm kind of right in the middle of both of those stories right there. And I have a connection to the island, of course, and to, you know, my family in, in Florida. So, um, but, you know, for what we do, I'm very happy that we get to do it. And I'm very happy that you take the time out of your day to listen to our show. Um, um, and I think that, you know, you know, while we're on this, this subject of, you know, native children and kind of the the history I, I i know that there's a lot of people who really don't like looking back at the past you know we talk we talk quite a bit about um you know critical race theory and you know all these sorts of things i recognize that you know it's uncomfortable but i also recognize that the only way that we heal is if we acknowledge what's happened and we start trying to piece together a path forward that honors the experience that we've been through. So with that said, um, I think we're going to leave it right there. Um, so once again, uh, thank you for tuning in to Civic Cipher. I'm your host, Ramses Jock. They call me Q Ward. Um, show producer, DJ Swirl. Um, hit the website, civiccipher.com. Download this and any previous episode uh, that you would like to check out. Um, you can also... Uh, check us out on YouTube um, and make a donation. Uh, the show grows with your help. Um, you can also suggest topics and follow us on social media um, if you so choose. And until next week, y'all. I can do anything. <laughs> Take a look. Send a book. Reading rain. Oh, I thought y'all were going to cut me off. <laughs>